Since July 30th, 1956, our dollar bill has declared, In God We Trust. But do we? As we approach this July 4th Independence <coughs> Day anniversary, what do we as Americans trust? In whom do we trust? In what do we trust? Will that, bring, that trust bring us success, or will it bring us disaster? Welcome to TW Now. We're glad to have you with us this week. I'd like to introduce you to our guests. Uh, first of all, Dr. Douglas Winnale. Thank you for being on the program today. You're welcome. Dr. Winnale is a regular guest on our program, so glad to have you with us. Um, and also, Dr. Scott Winnale. So glad to have you with us as well today. Glad to be here. Uh, again, Dr. Scott Winnale is a regular guest. So today we're having uh, Dr. Winnale and Dr. Winnale. And I hope you enjoy uh, the, the, the dynamic duo here. Glad to have you with us both today. So. As we begin, the question really uh, that we're, that's posed right at the very beginning is this. Um, did we ever really trust God as, as a nation? And I've posed this question today. Um, do we trust in God? Uh, are we really, but is there, is there a time when in history that we really ever truly did trust in, in God? Dr. Winnell, any comments? Yeah, the idea is today are that um, we were never really that religious. You know, we've exploited a lot of people. We've really not done anything right. These are arguments by progressive educators that basically ignore our history. I've got a book here entitled God and America's Leaders, a collection of quotations by America's presidents and founding fathers. And whenever you read what they actually said, it, George Washington made the comment that it's impossible to govern without God in the Bible. Now, he was a founding father. You've got Thomas Jefferson say, well, he was a deist, you know, he owned slaves and everything else. But uh, Jefferson made some very interesting comments, too. Uh, John Adams made some very interesting comments. John Adams, for example, he says, what... Uh, I have examined all religions as well as my narrow sphere, my straight and mains and so on. He said, and the result is that the Bible is the best book in the world. It contains more of my philosophy than all the libraries I've ever seen. Uh, you know, Jefferson made some other very interesting comments. When you jump ahead just a little bit, when Washington was facing the British around Boston, one of his general orders was, he realized the British have all the power, we don't have much. He said, we need to pray. We need to pray. As Eisenhower was launching invasions in Italy, after the ships left, he went back and got and prayed. So we have, but these things are not being taught today. They're not being told to people today. So, so let me ask this, are, were, are you saying that it, 200 years ago, we were a godly, godly nation. I mean, is that, is that the point uh, that, that we'd make? Well, I, I think we've got to ask the question, are people who are God-fearing or who believe in the Bible perfect people? Um, I think we could ask all of our viewers, we could look in the mirror and say, I, I claim to be a Christian. I claim <coughs> to believe in the Bible. Am I perfect? No, not yet. 
there are things that I do well, hopefully, before God, but there's things I'm still working on. And I think if, as we look back to the founding fathers of this country and, and frankly, many leaders in the world around us who have um, proclaimed to be heads over Christian nations, uh, in the past, many actually were fairly God-fearing. They, they did believe in a biblical morality and, and basically the Ten Commandments, but they didn't do it perfectly. <clears throat> what about the average person? I mean, you talked about leaders and, and uh, some quotes from leaders. What about the average man on the street or woman on the street? You think that there was a trust in God? That's the topic here. A trust in God from the average citizen. Um, well, well, I think it's, it's interesting <coughs> if you look back to the foundation of this country and even the first universities in this country that were um, started both by England and by America itself after the revolution, those, why were those institutions set up? They were set up to train ministry and to train ministers' wives to go and evangelize and to be able to teach people the Bible. This country was established as, as the pilgrims and others came over, fleeing religious tyranny but wanting to hold fast <coughs> to their belief in the Bible and the God of the Bible. So the general atmosphere, would you say, within the communities was one of greater trust in God 200 years ago than today? Would that be a fair statement? You know, you're always going to have people that don't believe in God and they do their own thing. I grew up in a smaller town in Ohio. We had probably half a dozen churches and almost everybody was in church and it was the thing to do at that time. Almost everybody was in church and there was a sense of this is right and that's wrong and part of that is fostered by being in religious congregations like that. Let me let me ask you this because uh, here before we get too far downstream, how how did how, how did it change? I mean, um, we're talking about 200 years ago, even um, 50 or 60 years ago, uh, where th let's say the atmosphere was one where there was a sense of trusting God, looking to God. But we're obviously the reason we're doing this program is because we're saying it's different. So how did how did it? How did it get that way? How did we go off track? What, what, what took us to this place? A lot of this began late 1800s, early 1900s with uh, progressive education. John Dewey was one of the persons that was really pushing all of this. Mm -hmm. He did not believe in the super... That was interesting. He was raised as a Calvinist. This is right and that's wrong. But he rebelled against that. He came to the conclusion there is no God, there's no supernatural, uh, the Bible's a bunch of stories, and this stuff has permeated our educational establishment today. Mm -hmm. And this, this rubs off then. You tell little kids these things. You promote this in schools. You know, the idea today is you go to college, you're going to lose your faith mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of what you're going to hear there. You're going to be taught by people that don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible. It's all about freedom and relativity. Yeah, these, these colleges of education uh, in this country are permeated by secular humanist philosophy. Mm -hmm. And those philosophies are ingrained in our future teachers who then come into our public school systems and teach these secular humanist ideologies. It's interesting, Barna did a study a, a few years ago and they were looking at people who believed in God and, and didn't. And what they found is that there's really three motivations for people no longer to believe in God. And we know these are the younger generations. The younger you are, the less likely you are to believe in God. But the three things they found was they, they reject uh, the Bible itself. They reject the validity of the Bible. Nobody reads the Bible anymore. Very few do. They don't, the Bible is not looked at as a 
um, a tool of history or even um, strong philosophy. It's, mm -hmm. it's just looked at this fictitious book. Number two, they lack a trust in the local church. And when we look at some of the fiascos that have happened in some of the big churches over from the Catholic Church, even the Protestant churches in this country over the last several decades, we can understand a little bit why. And then the third reason is because of cultural reinforcement of a secular world view. So it's not even culturally acceptable <coughs> to talk about or to, to certainly to have any trust in God uh, where we are today. But how are you looked upon if you do express a trust in God? If you, if you look at, if you follow somebody like uh, Richard Dawkins mm. and you look at his book on the God delusion and just his own teachings and his own musings, he's calling people idiots and stupid yeah. for daring to believe in God. The president of the Philippines just this week mm -hmm. talked about how you are stupid if you believe in the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. so, so we've we've come to this place where the premise again of the program is we, we don't have a trust in God and once there was a, a general trust in God in terms of the the, the, the atmosphere and, and communities what what is the next question I think would be with that in mind then is um, what do we put our trust in because if we if we're not looking to 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 God or to some direction outside our, ourselves, we're looking to something. So where, where, where we come then today? You know, statistics are very interesting to show this trend that we've actually been talking about. When you look at what people trust in today and what has happened to people's trust, in the media, 1980, 50% of the people believed, put their trust in the media. Today, 20%. When it comes to banks, and this happens after the, uh, uh, you know, the, the difficulties in 2008, before 2008, 50% of the people believed in banks. They, they trusted them. Today, 27%, almost half, mm. have dropped off. Mm. Religion, in 1973, 65% of our population in America trusted in organized religion. Today, it's about 40%. Mm. But the biggest thing, and I think the tragedy is, in 2017, only about one in ten people trust our government mm -hmm. in Congress. Mm -hmm. And this has fallen off. And uh, one of the articles I came across was uh, Americans don't trust their institutions anymore. And when you've got almost 90% of the people don't trust what's going on in Congress, you're talking about a dysfunctional system. I want to talk, just in a second, I want to talk about what that means when we have that breakdown in trust. <clears throat> I want to talk about, but, but then, let's stick, by, by the way, I, I think it is interesting that there, are, when we talk about statistics, the fact that these things are measured, in other words, the fact that there is someone who says, I want to go out and measure the level of trust, or I want to go out and measure uh, people's belief or non-belief in God, um, the fact that those measurements and those calculations are being made shows you that there are people thinking about this mm -hmm. and recognizing that there's a trend, there's a problem, what have you. So Yeah, they're looking to legitimize or see if a concern is really legitimate. Uh, why, why? But, excuse me, one second. Sure. I, also, before we go on, I'd like to uh, invite anybody in our audience who'd like to add a comment or question to our program. <coughs> I will do my best to uh, take a glance at our screen. We get a little bit caught up in the conversation some, sometimes and forget that you're out there, but uh, we do thank you for being with us. We don't want to ignore you. So uh, please, if uh, you have a question or comment, jot it down and we'll try to include it. In, in the mix here. Thanks for, for being with us again. And uh, back to our conversation. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry. Well, as 
as my father was talking about, there, there are many societal factors that are lending to this erosion of trust in general in society. Uh, I've, I've got some interesting statistics here. I don't want to show too, share too much of it, but if you can follow along, these are really telling. When we think about why has trust been eroded in our populations in general, these data are from the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development. And what they did is they looked at out-of-wedlock birth rates comparing 1964 to 2014. <coughs> what, what happened over this roughly 40-year period? And when you look at the 35 nations that they measured birth rates among out-of-wedlock birth rates, you see a jump in the out-of-wedlock birth rates from anywhere from about um, three times to up to 18 times. So let me just give you just a couple quick examples. In 1964 in Norway, their out-of-wedlock birth rate was about 5%. In 2014, it was 55%. In the United States, it was about 8% in 1964. And in 2014, it was about 40%. In Cyprus, it was 1% in 1964 and in 2014 it was 18% so their out-of-wedlock birth rate increased by 18 <coughs> times. You've got nations with out-of-wedlock birth rates that are pushing 70, 80 and even 90% in some cases. So the question is if, if you're born into a situation like this as a child and you've been abandoned by one of your parents what does that do to your trust and how does that impact your worldview? related to <coughs> trusting adults, trusting government, trusting anyone. It's in two levels, isn't it, if you think about it, because it's in, on, on one level, what we're talking about is a breakdown in trust in the trust in, in God or any, any authority. <coughs> that's, that's one level because God is the one who ordained marriage and establishes marriage as we're talking about in this, in this example. And the second level is what, that hap what happens within that family when there is a breakdown mm -hmm. of doing it the way God says and now there's an impact in the family because there's no father. And there's, now that breaks down trust with a, certainly a mate or with the children. So do you find that something that's a common thread? As, as <coughs> trust breaks down in, in godly values, then at other levels, trust breaks down between people? And is that something you think is a common thread? You know, there's another factor here. There's a book came out recently entitled Being There. And it was looking at the uh, problems that develop in children whenever the mother is not there mm -hmm. during the first three years of their life. In other words, they, they're abandoned. They don't develop this, this, this stableness. So it's not just the father's leaving or just one parent family. Maybe you have uh, two parents that are there, but they're not there. But th this was quite interesting. It said if you want to have a stable child, you need to be home mm -hmm. during those first three years. So it's, it's a lot of things happening in society, but it's coming together. I think mm -hmm. what we're facing, and we're going to be facing in not too distant future, is a, fut is a perfect storm mm -hmm. where all these things are going to come together, and then we're beginning to reap what we've been sowing for the last 50 or 60 or 70 years. I, I have, a, I have a, a little a theory about uh, an idea that has been floated about this idea of being with your children. And there's this, I, I think it's a heresy. I think it's a family heresy of quality time. 
You hear this talked about sometimes, quality time. It's better to have quality time with your kids than just a lot of time. And I think it's, it's, it's garbage because I think it's a cop-out for parents to be able to, to excuse themselves from spending time with their kids to say that, you know, five minutes of quality time is worth uh, an hour of quantity time. It doesn't even make any sense. So, I'm yeah. sorry, it's a little you know, personal. One of the things that we learn as parents, we have to be ready to deal with the issues whenever they come up. If they're not there, if, if you're not there, if they're well, not how does there, it work? You know, they, yeah. they skin their knee or something. Well, I can't deal with it. This is not part of your quality time. Sure. Uh, one, I was going to say, one of the really profound things that comes out of these statistics that we're talking about <coughs> is suffering. Kids suffer when a parent or parents aren't around. Uh, there are lots of other data points. We talk about drug use, we talk about depression rates, we talk about suicide rates, we talk about a bunch of things that have just skyrocketed in the last several decades. What does it result in? It results in suffering. We look around the world and we see suffering. One of the biggest arguments that atheists and agnostics have against Christianity is, if there's really a God, and He's a loving God, why would He allow suffering? And with the media today, we can see suffering 24 hours a day on multiple stations. And so what do you do as a young person coming up in a world where you see suffering everywhere? How in the world can there be a God? And when somebody pushes that button of that question, and they ask the question, how is there a God if He allows suffering? What does that do to our trust in God? How do you even believe in a God who might allow suffering like that? So, there's, we're, there's a breakdown in trust in, in God. We, we, we've addressed that to a certain degree, and, and a breakdown in trust in some of the institutions that God establishes. The family, for example. Um, even government. I mean, we're supposed to, God commands us in the scriptures to, to be respectful of government and those in authority. So we've touched on that a little bit, and we've touched on some of the, some of the effects of that. Any other parts of society, or I'm, I'm, let me back up. I, I, um, are there any other uh, places in which we have placed our trust? in society okay what, what so where is it where's it gone I mean because you can't you can't trust nobody we can say we trust nobody but if we say that we're trusting ourselves right mm -hmm. I mean in other words it's, it's not it, it's not logical what do we trust in, in what do we trust today as, as you know, our hope today for many people is our Constitution that they're hoping because we're gonna have a vacancy on the Supreme Court mm -hmm. and there's a hope that they'll put somebody there that will stick to the con the Constitution and yet, you know, Robert Bork, <clears throat> a legal person, wrote a book entitled Slouching Towards Gomorrah, and he wrote this in the late 70s, I think. His conclusion was we're going in the wrong direction. Even though we have a constitution, many of the Supreme Court judges are interpreting the constitution according to their own ideas. They're not abiding by it. It was a quote by John Adams. He said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Mm -hmm. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other type of situation. And we're not a, uh, a moral and religious, we're an amoral people today. Now, I realize there are a lot of people trying to do what's right. Yeah. But when you got 50, more than 50% of people in the United States say that homosexual marriages is fine. Well, the Bible says something very different. And you go back 200 years ago, <laughs> it was very different at that time. So, now the it's 
So he's saying is the Constitution is not going to save us, and someone who, who believes it will is, uh, is, is really going down a, a path that's going to end in, in disaster. Yeah, as we talked the other day, Churchill made the statement that, um, <clears throat> what was it, a democracy or, or um, a republic? But, but the government that America has is uh, the worst of all governments except for everything else. So it's, <laughs> yeah. that's a very rough paraphrase. It's a, it's a very fallible... The government's not going to solve it. No. The answer yeah. is available, though, in a future government that's coming, and we may get we'll to be. that. What, what are some other er places in which we've placed yeah, our, our well, trust? Yeah, who, well, who, who do uh, or what do nations look to? They look to their currency. Uh, you know, the dollar has been a very powerful thing. Uh, it was the sterling for a long time before that. Uh, you look to your military and your military might as an extension of your own power. You talk about the character of your people. Well, they can't put us down. We're going to come back. Uh, then you've got things that push us even further. You, if you can't believe in your government anymore, who do you believe in? Who do you trust? Maybe you turn to yourself. There's a quick comments from an article in the American Conservative, and the author, just ending his article, made the observation, very sobering observation. He said, we're creating a no-trust society, mm. one in which people will have to turn inward out of self-protection. Mm. You know, today we're in a society where you're going to be demonized for almost whatever you say. If you say something in the open, somebody's going to jump on you. They're going to look to um, take your job away from you. Faculty members at major universities, which used to be bastions of free speech, can't speak their minds anymore because their students are going to work to try and get them expelled. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we, we turn to ourselves in many cases. Who else can I trust but me? And I wonder if along with that is... Uh, is there's a, it's a partner to people looking to these uh, politicians who promise the world. I mean, this is something we see this, the day of this. I think an article recently in the Economist, perhaps uh, the the day of the strong man, or maybe it was a Wall Street Journal article. I forget. But there's this because we want to trust in somebody, don't we? We 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 want to trust in somebody or something. So it's very natural. And God has He said, "Trust in me, and I'll take care of you." But but now we come to the, the, the next part. We wanted to go from there then to the, the, the last question that I, I'd like to bounce around a bit, and that is this. Um, and it's actually, it's two parts. So if we continue on this same trajectory and the same path, where we have been going, where we've been heading, where is it, where is it going to end? What, what do you think will happen? And then from there, I'd, I'd like to just spend the last few minutes talking about how, how we should function as, as citizens, um, knowing we should trust in God, but how does that come out in daily life in, in our world that is so antagonistic to God? So that's the first part of that. Where, where are we going? Where are we heading? The future does not look good. I think I quoted already <clears throat> from Robert Bork's book, Slouching Towards Gomorrah, and he said that is probably our destination. Now, for many people today, they don't know the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah, but God destroyed those nations because they were going down too fast. Um, the lady in England, Melanie Phillips, she's Jewish, but she's written a book, The World Turned Upside Down, and she's saying pretty much the same thing. We're not heading in a good direction. We're not heading in a good direction. There was a guy at Harvard, Samuel Huntington, wrote The Clash of Civilizations, and he said, we appear to be heading for a new dark age. 
and talking about culturally uh, as far everything, as society everything mm -hmm. you know in, in the book of Judges the very last verse in the last chapter talks about everybody did what was right in their own eyes it was anarchy it was chaos at that time and as um, Scott said that if people can't trust their government, they can't trust their preachers, they can't trust society, they're going to go to themselves. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says a person that trusts in himself is a fool. It's not going to be good. Because, and because our heart is desperately wicked, yeah. right? In other words, we don't, have, we don't have what it takes to provide the moral guidance that we, we need. Well, and that's just it. You wind up with a society that's morally relativistic, this concept of moral relativism. It's interesting, early American President James Madison was speaking in 1778 to the General Assembly of the State of Virginia. Listen to this quote. He said, we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, Far from it. We've staked the future of all our political institutions upon our capacity to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Mm -hmm. If you remove the bedrock <coughs> of morality, which in this country, and not just in this country, in Western civilization in general, the bedrock of morality was the Ten Commandments, has been the Ten Commandments. If you remove that, what is your basis for morality and for ethical decision-making? It's me. It's, I do what's right in my own eyes. And so what is, what is the prognosis going forward for a society that does that? <laughs> what's going to pull us back? If we don't have that bedrock of the Ten Commandments, what's going to pull us back to, to, to make a straight course? Or are we going to continue to splinter and fracture? Do you think that we could pass legislation <coughs> today mm. that would actually say our national motto should be, in God we trust? Or if it was, uh, we were taught, Eisenhower I think is the one who was uh, behind the move to put mm -hmm. in God we trust on our currency, our paper currency. Um, do you think we could pass that today? in our legislative environment? I'm talking federally, our federal government. Isn't, isn't there a term today called dreamers? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it would pass. I don't think it would pass. I don't no, and even if, you, even if somehow you could, what does it matter? Because you've got such a, a society that's at loggerheads with each other. So it'd just be a farce. It, it, it would just, it nobody's would be a farce. going to, half of, you, half of society might believe in it, and the other half is going to be full of venom yeah. against it. It's going to just destroy. What happened to the legislation called defense of marriage mm -hmm. that was just passed, what, less than 10 years ago? And it was passed, and then it was, by executive order, pushed out the window. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because this is this is bigotry. This is bias that you're ignoring one percent of the people. Well, so we, we have leaders. The, the president yeah. who came into that, yeah. he actually made the comment I, that this is law. Remember, he took an oath of office to uphold the Constitution on the Bible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but he said, "I am not going to enforce this yeah. particular yeah. law." Yeah. Uh, before we before we run out of time, then uh, last question for you for you both, is, and that is this: So, a person who wants to trust in God, we believe that we should base our life and the trust in God, His laws, His ways. How do we cope with this sea change, this uh, this tidal wave that pushes us towards a way of thinking that 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 pushes God out the out the door? How do we? trust in God, and also be respectful toward other people, be respectful toward our, our government, be 
abiding by the laws of the land and, and, uh, and live in this, this society. What's a couple of keys you think of? You know, Jesus taught his disciples, <clears throat> and Paul repeats the same thing. We've got to come out of this world. We can't be part of this world. Jesus Christ is coming back to set up a government on this earth, a government on this earth that's going to operate on the laws of God. You know, we've got to encourage people to find sources that they can trust. Mm. which is the Bible. And they've got to prove that to themselves. Is this the inspired Word of God? They've got to prove that God exists. Once you establish your foundation again, we can't be drifting along with the world. And this is a problem for many young people today and adults too. They just drift along because everybody's doing those things. We've got to come out and live differently because when Christ returns, he's going to establish a government and those people that do come out of this world and they treat people nicely, but they don't go along with the world. They're going to have an opportunity to participate in the coming kingdom of God. They're going to have a hope that the world doesn't have today. That, and that's why we talk in some of our literature about the importance of proving the Bible, proving God, so we can trust in God. I mean, we have literature specifically directed towards uh, helping us to, to trust in God. I mean, it is, a, it is See, important. See, the message in the media today is you can, there is no God. The message in the media is this is just a bunch of stories. And we've got to counter that message. Not everybody's going to listen, mm -hmm. but at least we make the information available. Last comment. Before, before that, I want to mention, Dr. Winnell, actually uh, give a note. It just occurred to me that you have uh, an article or a booklet uh, actually about the authority of the Bible that is focused on this very question. So you're the right man for the job. Glad, to, <laughs> glad you're here because that actually is right up your alley. But, but if, for any in our audience, uh, if you have not taken the opportunity to, to go through and read the, uh, the booklet, it's, it's, it's called The Authority of the Bible? The is Bible, that? Fact, or Fiction, okay. and God, the Real God. Okay. Let me just mention too, I've taught for 20, 30 years in the science area and education area. And to me, it was one of the most exciting studies well, I ever years. did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> but proving the Bible and proving that there is a God was one of the most exciting studies that a person could ever do. And all this stuff today that well, there's no God and you can't prove the Bible is a bunch of baloney. The information is there. All you have to do is begin to look into it. Okay. Yeah, I was just Daily life. How do, we, how do we live? Just a couple quick comments. The God of the Bible says he cannot lie. And he promises. He says, if you put your trust to me, I will bless you. I will be merciful to you. I will protect you. I will do all these things for you. As we begin to live that way, many of the things we do in trusting God are actually doing things like loving our neighbor. Remember the two great commandments, love God and, and love our neighbor. And as we begin to love our neighbor and we show respect for them and we serve them and we help them, these are actually concepts and ideas that do fly even in this society. Most people do appreciate being respected. They do appreciate being talked to in a respectful way. They do appreciate it when other people help them out. And so <clears throat> even in a society that is falling further and further away from biblical morality, there's still an appreciation for the implementation of biblical morality, even if we don't say it that way. It's, it's living our faith, it's living our trust in God. Okay. You know, Daniel lived in a pagan society, and yet he was um, respected, mm -hmm. he was used. Uh, Moses, Joseph, 
uh, it's possible to live in a society that's going down the tubes and be a light and be an example mm -hmm. because you're holding two fundamental values. He sure, so Daniel, Daniel certainly trusted in God and, mm -hmm. uh, and yet had a very high position, clearly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, oh, well, thank you, gentlemen. We are out of time here, so I appreciate you being with us here on the program today. And uh, thank you to our audience for being with us. And I trust that you will be back with us next week at the same time, same place. Thanks for being with us here. Signing off with, uh, this is Jonathan McNair with the TW Now. Have a good afternoon.